Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the contents in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Sean Kane, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. The recent terrorist attacks in Paris by ISIS have created renewed fears in this country and in much of the world over Islamic extremism. In a country like the United States, which has a relatively no, low number of Muslim citizens, Islam is not well known, leaving many to wrongly believe that the religion is responsible for inciting violence. Joining us today is a Catholic priest who has spent much of his ministry working closely with Muslims and has recently reflected on the beauty of the Islamic faith in an article for America Magazine. Father Patrick Ryan, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. First, please tell us about your many years serving in Muslim countries. Uh, you know, what brought you there? Uh, what was your, uh, was your ministry at the time? I was in uh, mixed Muslim and Christian countries. Uh, I, I spent about seven year, or 11 years in Nigeria, which is about half Muslim and half Christian. And then uh, I also spent 15 years in Ghana, which is majority Christian, but has a substantial minority of Muslims. And were you, um, were you there um, in... Uh... Well, I was assigned first as a Jesuit scholastic, a Jesuit in formation, after I finished my bachelor's degree and master's degree, I went, I taught English in a high school in Nigeria. That's where I first met Muslims, in fact, among the Yoruba people, who are the predominant ethnic uh, linguistic group of southwestern Nigeria, about uh, 30 million people today. And uh, I taught in a school where there are both Muslim and Christian students. There are probably more Christians because we're the eastern side of Yoruba land is more Christian mm -hmm. than Muslim, but uh, still there was a substantial number of Muslims. And then the town itself, uh, Akure, was... Uh, had, uh, again, it was probably majority Christian, but it had a substantial Muslim community and a big central mosque, and you would see the celebrations of their major feasts and things like that. So that was how I first got interested in Islam, by interested in the Yoruba, first of all, and then I eventually, after finishing my theology, did a doctorate at Harvard in uh, comparative religion and Islamic studies with Arabic, cause so that I got more deeply into uh, mainstream Islam as a result. So uh, before we delve too deeply into your article, it might be helpful for our Catholic listeners if you could maybe give a little bit of a primer on um, Islam and um, you know what they believe and how they worship, and etc. Uh, the worship is essential to the Islamic life. Uh, it, it five times a day, uh, there is a prescribed ritual, really a liturgy, uh, should be ideally performed in a group, but can be performed individually, was called the Salat, and... Uh, uh, the article I wrote in America was about the call to that, the, the adhan, as it's called, uh, when you hear them being called to prayer, usually from the roof of a mosque or from the minaret. Uh, nowadays, broadcast by, uh, in much of the world by, public, uh, by uh, uh, PA systems, which can be deafening. But <laughs> the, uh, uh, the, it's a particularly beautiful and plaintive uh, sound. It's typical. If you've heard the music, if you've ever heard the music of the... Uh, uh, the Antiochian and, uh, and Alexandrian Rite uh, churches of the Middle East, mm -hmm. uh, the very similar music, well, or musical notation, I should say. It's not played to instruments. And um, so they, they, their, their worship is at five times a day. And yes. in and terms it, is, it is a liturgy in a sense that uh, even if you perform it alone, uh, you turn to the right and the left as you finish it, 
and wish peace and God's blessings and mercy to the person on either side. If you're performing it alone, uh, the tradition is that you wish that peace and mercy and blessing from God to the angels who accompany you in worship. But on Fridays uh, around midday, usually early afternoon, uh, is the time that Muslims are supposed to get together for the uh, communal uh, Jummah prayer, the prayer of the uh, of the large community, but the rest of the week can be performed either in small groups or by yourself. So for for us, their 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 Friday is more like our Sunday. It is, except the the uh, although it's becoming common now in the Muslim world, uh, especially in the uh, Arab world, uh, to have Friday as a holiday. Uh, it, uh, it that is actually something of an imitation of Jewish and Christian practice. It wasn't considered a day of rest in that sense. The the notion of Shabbat is. Not that you go to church, but that you stop literally in, in Hebrew, that you stop and rest. And then uh, we, uh, we have always connected uh, worship in the Christian tradition, almost from the beginning, with the day after the Sabbath, that is to say the day in which Christ rose from the dead. So uh, the uh, first day of creation and also the day of Pentecost. But for, for Muslims, it is Friday has no uh, significance like that. It is mm-hmm. simply the day of communal prayer. And what is it they uh, believe? What's the central tenet of their faith? Well, the one absolute oneness of God. There's no, nothing like the incarnation. The, the oneness of God, and then the two things that are testified to in the, uh, in the, in the call to worship and in, the, uh, in, in their prayer, uh, prayers throughout the day, is that uh, God is one and that Muhammad is his messenger, not just a prophet, but a messenger, the one who, who brings the, finally the complete message of God, which they think has been given before uh, through Moses and through uh, Jesus, but has been, uh, they believe, has been uh, distorted, and the final clear message is given through Muhammad. So they, uh, they, they, Muslims would say that Islam did not begin with Muhammad, but began with the act of creation, creation submitting to God by coming to exist. But it's a, uh, the message is a peaceful one, correct? It is. I mean, it's basically, uh, it was a call to, to, uh, to give up some of the wild ways of the Arabs in the pre-Islamic period and uh, when it was first among the Arabs. And then, of course, it spread only today, only one-seventh of the Muslim world is Arab. But uh, the, the vast majority of Muslims live in South Asia and uh, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, uh, between them uh, account for at least uh, six or seven hundred uh, million Muslims. So there's a, there's a huge Muslim population in South Asia. Uh, your article is called Called to Prayer, and it, yeah. offer, it offers a really detailed look at the, the language that's used by the Muslims, um, especially the words used for the invitation to prayer. Yes. It's very yes. intentional, is it not? Yes, it, it, the, it, that's interesting. It's, uh, many people just translate Hay al-Salat and Hay al-Falah as uh, come to the worship, but it really means be alive. Uh, beyond the Kiviv is an old expression of my master of novices, uh, to be mm-hmm. alert. Uh, for the worship, and of course, when you hear that at four thirty in the morning, it does, <laughs> it does get you alert for the worship. But uh, but it's it's uh, not only for worship, but also for what is called falah, f a l a h, and there's a sort of rough h there. And falah is uh, hard to translate, but it's related to the word for tillage or farming, uh, turning over the soil, and it really means for uh, a life of flourishing, a life of orderliness, like the life of an oasis, rather than. A life of uh, wildness, like the life of the uh, the Bedouin Arabs, and uh, perhaps the most important phrase uh, used. Uh, and forgive me, Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar is pronounced. And, uh, I've the, heard many distortions of that on television news in the last week. It's Allahu Akbar. 
It means God is greater than anything. But I, it, 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 it does not mean God is great. That's a common uh, mistranslation. Uh, the word Akbar, Kabir is great. Akbar is greater. But in Arabic, uh, there is, uh, there's only comparative and elative forms, as they say. And so it really, when it has a definite noun, it's connected with like Allah or God, the capital G. Uh, it is. Uh, it means greatest. It is the greatest. God is greatest of all, but he's he's beyond comparison. I think is what they mean. And uh, what is uh, that? Um... That expression, Allahu Akbar, is said many times in the prayer itself. It's it's said dozens of times, uh, but the uh, it doesn't actually occur in the Quran as mm. such. But it's uh, it's a summary of uh, the supremacy of God, even the supremacy of God, even over the Prophet Muhammad that they're not on an equal basis. God is the greatest of all. And uh, he's different from any, anybody's uh, concept, concept of a God with a small g. Even the word for God with a small g is Allah, uh, and Allah is the, so it's differently pronounced. And uh, it's probably the definite article, El, combined with Allah, but it becomes Allah, finally. And uh, it's a, uh, so the, the thing that the people are connected with, many of these terrorists shouting this out, they also shout it out when they're excited at a wedding and when they're at uh, uh, anything wonderful that happens, uh, be the new moon, uh, so, so forth and so on. There are many times it, it's, it's an it's a, it's a expression of, uh, of uh, surprise and also sometimes of fear, uh, but not meant to strike fear, although I think uh, some of our, uh, our radio and television jockeys have tried to make that uh, into a threat. Yeah. The subtitle to your article says, What I Learned from Muslims About God. Yeah. What did you learn? I think I learned finally that uh, God is beyond my manipulation. <laughs> I, have to, I have to listen to God. I have to, you know, uh, I think we all have to surrender to God finally. And I think that, that complete surrender of oneself to God is, uh, it's, it's true. Uh, I mean, I'm a Jesuit, and the central a uh, phrase of Jesuit tradition is ad maiorum dei gloriam, for the greater glory of mm-hmm. God. What does Ignatius mean by that? He meant that uh, everything we do, we cannot increase God's glory, uh, but we can in- increase the glory of God seen in his image, which is the human being. And so con- constantly we have to Im- improve human society, improve human beings. So I think that's what I, I learned about that, that uh, from their prayer, that total attention to God. And, of course, their prayer is uh, very difficult if you're old and stiff. <laughs> uh, it can be performed, though, even in a moderated form. I, I've seen Muslims perform it in uh, planes, in, in uh, passengers, fellow passengers in planes, without moving from their space, because there is a special provision for prayer on a journey. And uh, originally, I suppose, for journeying on a horse or on a camel. But uh, now I've seen Muslims perform it on uh, uh, sitting next to me on a plane going to Cairo one time. So... Uh, the uh, uh, you have various ways of, uh, of performing the worship, and it can be, but it is it does punctuate the day. It's interesting that the first time of the day is before dawn, the next time is until early afternoon, and that reflects the fact of Islam's origins in a very hot area of the world, because the afternoon is not a time uh, for working outdoors, but a time for rest and dispersed with sleep and uh, with prayer rather. And uh, the uh, uh, you have uh, so you have. Prayer, let's say, at 4.30 to 5.30 in the morning. Well, the next prayer might be about 1 in the afternoon, 12.30 to 1.30. The next one would be about 3.30, the next one at 5.30, and then at 7.30. So it's obviously the hours of work 
were the hours between dawn and uh, high noon. And uh, those were the days, uh, those were the, the main times of work in, in a traditional setting in Arabia in the 7th century. Uh, air conditioning has changed a lot of that, but uh, the, uh, certainly it, is, uh, it, it shows its origins in the 7th century, that uh, particular calendar, calendar of prayer. It's not that unlike the, uh, the five major hours of the uh, divine office for uh, mm. uh, the Christian tradition. And I suspect uh, the, uh, it was affected by the example of, of the Syrian monks that were encountered by Muhammad and his first companions uh, uh, even before the, Muhammad's experiences of revelation. Uh, he, he encountered on the trade routes between Damascus and uh, Mecca uh, he encountered uh, Christian monks, and they would have seen something of their of their worship. And certainly, Salota in in Syriac it seems to be a, a word for that type of periodic prayer. Even the Kiriana, the readings from Scripture, the uh, various lessons in the, for instance, in the Office of Readings we have in the uh, Christian Breviary today, uh, that word for is the is the is the word Kiriana in. Uh, in, our, in Syriac, and it's uh, very similar to Quran. Quran is something to be recited. Jesuit Father Patrick Ryan, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Joe. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. A little more than a year ago, Shanta Stern waited in line with an infant son in her arms for the signature hot meal program at Our Daily Bread Employment Center in Baltimore. On December 7th, she returned to share her story with Baltimore Archbishop William E. Laurie and hundreds of other guests at the 36th annual Catholic Charities Leadership Breakfast. Orphaned at 14, Stern became pregnant at 25. In rapid order, circumstances left her and her son without a home. Today, she holds down two jobs and lives with her son at Sarah's house, a supportive housing program in Fort Meade. Visit catholicreview.org for her story and more about Catholic Charities also on catholicreview.org. It's time to start thinking about the Mid-Atlantic Congress. Running February 16th to 18th at the Inner Harbor Hilton in Baltimore, the event highlights best practices in evangelization for laypeople. According to Ruth Pulse, director of the Division of Catechetical and Pastoral Formation for the Archdiocese of Baltimore's Department of Evangelization, attendees of the Congress come, quote, face-to-face with leaders in their fields, spiritual giants, people who are on fire for the Lord, end quote. One of those people scheduled to deliver the opening keynote is Atlanta Archbishop Wilton D. Gregory. During the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops annual fall assembly in November, also in Baltimore, Archbishop Gregory assisted Archbishop Laurie in getting the opening mass celebrated at St. Peter Claver in West Baltimore's Sandtown Winchester neighborhood. It was received as a warm affirmation of the church's commitment to racial justice and the healing that needs to go on, as well as a gesture of affection to the community, Archbishop Gregory said. Find these stories and many more at catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Eric Zygmunt. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. This is Sean Kane, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Advent is upon us, and that means Catholic parishes throughout the Archdiocese of Baltimore and beyond will be offering programs and other opportunities for us to draw closer to Jesus as we prepare to celebrate his birth. Joining us today is Mr. Daniel Norman McNamara, who wrote an article titled, Molly's Advent List, 
about some of the many online resources aimed at helping Catholics prepare for Christmas. Mr. McNamara, thanks for joining us. Well, I'm happy to be here, Sean. So tell us, how should a good Catholic prepare for Christmas? Well, Sean, I, I think you've hit the nail right on the head in using the word prepare. You know, all of us tend to be at least fairly good at preparing things for Christmas. But uh, what are we going to do this year to prepare ourselves for Christmas? Maybe think of it this way. Uh, are we just going to be running around in circles again uh, this Advent season? Uh, or just what is it that we're going to do differently this time around to kind of see that uh, there's an upward spiral in our preparations for Christmas? So to me, this is what preparing ourselves for Christmas tries to keep in focus. So uh, as I mentioned in my introduction, you're, you're, the title of your article is Molly's Advent List 2015. Who is Molly, and, what does she, and who does she represent? Well, Molly is actually a person that I knew, oh, way back in the 1960s when I was a drummer and she was performing in a high school musical. So I met her first then, and I met her again, oh, two years ago at the airport in Toronto. Uh. Um, So Molly is actually a real person. But, you know, in the article, I think what she represents to a lot of people that read the article is uh, the inactive Catholics that, you know, each one of us knows. There are brothers and sisters, our aunts and uncles, our parents, even our grandparents, and friends and neighbors. Um, and they're also called to prepare themselves for Christmas. So to me, kind of the question becomes part of it anyway. How do we invite them to to prepare themselves for this Christmas? So let's get into your list. Uh, get okay. us started, and uh, let's uh, talk about uh, the ways in which you think people should get ready for Christmas. Well, you know, what I had in mind with this article and in my own thinking is basically I'd like people to think about um, getting connected with a local parish, with their local parish, you know, if they've been part of that parish for a while, and if they've kind of drifted away, connecting with some parish. Of course, in your Archdiocese of Baltimore, there's 153 of them. So, you know, that would be the first thing. Think about connecting with a parish, finding out what that parish is going to be doing during this Advent season, and kind of making the commitment to... Uh, to be there, to be part of that community, to join with that community during the Advent season, and in that way to contribute to preparing yourself for Christmas. And we can't overemphasize the importance of the role of the parish in our faith lives. Um, The Holy Father has cited the importance of the parish, um, and we know from our own experiences that so much of uh, what we do as a uh, community of faith centers around the parish. Well, and you know, Sean, that's exactly right. We're not simply individual Catholics. As Catholics, we're part of a number of families, and one of those families is our parish. So not to be part of a parish, to exclude ourselves from a parish, we're kind of cutting ourselves off and limiting our Catholicism, and we don't want to do that. So how do we overcome that in this in the next few weeks on coming up to Christmas of 2015. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like and appreciate the fact that you, um, in your list, in your article, 
uh, take into consideration that there'll be some people uh, who may not be able to get to a parish, um, and you talk about how we can turn our computer into an Advent resource. Well, exactly right. You know, exactly right. And um, I think for a lot of us, now I'm, I'm in one of the older generations, you know, this is a new thought for us. Uh, it isn't for our children and grandchildren who go to their computer and their devices and make connections with various, you know, various uh, things literally around the world. But we can certainly make a connection with our uh, dioceses and archdioceses and even with uh, our, our own parish websites very easily and find out information about what's going on. And, you know, beyond that, it's a, it's a vast world um, in, on the web of, of things that might contribute to our preparing ourselves for this Christmas. You also uh, talk about um, the use of television, which, again, we would think, you know, these are these are usually things that we're steering people away from, but the reality is they can they can be uh, helpful and useful for us uh, in preparing ourselves. Well, exactly right. Television and radio, you know, um, these things have expanded dramatically. The church's involvement in them um, at various levels has expanded dramatically over the last 10 to 15 years. I think a lot of older Catholics have missed out on that. Um, and, you know, maybe it's time to, to try to look at that connection and see what things are actually available to us that we can access either um, by cable, by ROCA, by satellite in some cases, or right over the Internet itself. I know, you know, my wife and I simply hook our, our little laptop up to our television, and we're able to watch a lot of programming that a couple of years ago, Sean, we didn't know a thing about. Another way that, that might seem um, uh, logical and, and um, straightforward is something I think too many of us forget to take time for, and that's, um, that's uh, reading a scripture and, and, and making time for prayer, even if it's just a brief time each day. And exactly right you are. There are so many opportunities. You know, in researching this article, I was just amazed. So many sites, including a lot of archdiocesan and diocesan sites, have a daily thought for reflection during Advent um, and other parts of the year, but certainly during Advent. Normally it's tied to the Scripture for that period, um, and it's just an enormously good opportunity for people to be able on an ongoing basis to, you know, not let the days pass us by, or, uh, but to have a reminder, to have a way each and every day to find time to kind of center ourselves, and to work on that whole agenda of preparing ourselves for Christmas. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Uh, this year, it's uh, is a unique year because it's at the start of Advent is actually marks the beginning of the year of faith. And one of the uh, images, the primary image for uh, celebrating this year is the image of the open doors. The Vatican has, has, uh, um, has asked the dioceses to... Uh, to have uh, doors of mercy, uh, with the idea being that this is an opportunity for the Church to remind uh, not only the practicing Catholics, but those maybe who are no longer connected to the faith, that our doors are open, that they're welcome. Uh, what a wonderful message um, to, uh, to have, especially at this time of year of Advent. Exactly right. And, you know, 
what a marvelous image and symbol, the open door, you know. Um, and and I, I'm hopeful, and I think all of us are, that this, this year of mercy that Pope Francis has proclaimed um, will become an opportunity for an awful lot of us and an awful lot of, of inactive Catholics to begin to find our way back through those doors. Uh, a lot of us have been away a long, long time. For for people listening to this or reading your article and, and they, they think about all the things that they are doing to get, as you mentioned early on, not themselves ready, but to get ready for Christmas, um, what do you say to people who, who are already feeling a little bit overwhelmed and now we're asking them to, to carve out a little bit of time uh, to open themselves and prepare themselves for Christmas? Well, you know, that's a reality. Um, the, the, my own experience is that holiday overload issue, the feeling of being overwhelmed, I kind of find myself facing this each and every year. It's kind of the elephant in the living room that we need to talk about with people. Now that we're, you know, we're looking to invite them to kind of broaden their, uh, their Christmas preparation to include themselves. So uh, I find that I have to deal with that uh, kind of feeling of being run over by a bus. Hmm. And what I find is that Doing something or continuing, uh, you know, that interferes with my actually doing something about my own good intentions uh, about Advent. They kind of get lost or take a back seat. So, Sean, what I'm going to try to do this year, and I recommend this to your listeners, let's try to do less. You know, my wife keeps saying to me as we get into our late 60s, hey, Dan, less is better, and no... That's sometimes the best answer. But even with that shorter to-do list, you know, I expect that I'm going to be overwhelmed. And, you know, after 60-some-odd years, that's probably a good bet. So what I'm going to try to do, Sean, is to prioritize. Daniel Norman McNamara, thanks for so much for being with us today to talk to us about preparing ourselves for Advent. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.